What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and today we have our top 10 takeaways and lessons learned video as we do every single Monday where we break down what just happened in the fantasy football world. Now, we're going to try and keep vibes high right now. The boy just found out that Brees Hall, ACL injury, out for the year. It's absolutely devastating. It is absolutely soul-crushing at this point. 5-2 and two Jets team finally doing well, and we get dealt probably the shittiest hand we could have possibly been dealt. But we're going to hop into injuries in a little bit here. Rookie running backs, young up-and-coming running backs. We'll keep the vibes high for the people. As always, if you enjoy this, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. Let's go. All right, so our first takeaway here is Travis Etienne breakout season. And for everybody out there, like myself, that had Travis Etienne as their 2021 RB1 for rookie drafts and dynasty or just for how they felt in the NFL draft, it has been a long, long, long road. But we can now hang our hats. Now, I'm not saying definitively Travis Etienne is the better dynasty running back than Najee Harris or the better in real life running back, whatever you want to say. But having ETN over Najee Harris in your rookie rankings isn't as egregious as it once was, and it was probably justified, right? He has the injury for the entire first season of his career. He comes out in his second year, and he proves why all of us absolutely fell in love with the profile. As you can see here, a young Ron Stewart. Travis Etienne is still my RB1. This was after he got drafted to the Jaguars. People were sleeping on him because they already had James Robinson and Najee Harris was getting pushed up to the top of rookie drafts. And the thing for me was is that Etienne has the profile we all love. He has fine size. He has like four, four, five wheels. He makes huge explosive plays and he catches the football. And he has first round draft capital in an era where DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor and Brees Hall, three of the finest running back prospects we've ever seen, couldn't net first round draft capital all of the signs were there and what two years later or yeah about a year and a half later it has been a long road but they are back to being at the very least in the same tier of prospect or player now when we talk about what etn has done to sort of earn that big of a discrepancy in the poll his usage has been elite he had a season high 80 percent of the snaps on sunday he had 67% of the rush attempts, 91% of the long down and distance snaps, 82% of the two-minute drill, 57% of the short yardage snap with 100% of the rush attempts. The usage was elite. And not only was the usage elite, but he looked special with the ball in his hands. He had just 14 carries, and he turned that into 114 yards and a touchdown. He had only five targets, but he had or he had five targets, but only one catch. That's going to get better. I think he's going to be more efficient in the receiving game. But just once he has the ball in his hands, he is insane. If you just watch him, like the the burst and the speed that he has, like he can get from the line of scrimmage to the 15-yard line quicker than anybody, not anybody, but most players in the NFL. He has a 6.1 yards per carry. And I, I shy away from using yards per carry, but 6.1 yards per carry is insane. Like anything over four is good. Anything over six is insane. I think the only guys with 60 yards or more per carry – is ETN, Penny who went down, and then Khalil Herbert, all guys who were crushing it between the tackles. ETN, as much as we thought he was going to be a special receiver in the NFL, he has been a special runner this year. He is second in the NFL in rushing yards over expected per attempt. 
He's seventh in rush grade per PFF. He's second in breakaway run percentage. He has five touches over 20 yards. He has one touch over 30 yards. He has two touches over 40 yards. Just insane. He makes massive, huge plays. He can get to 100 rushing yards without even needing 20 attempts like a lot of these running backs out there. He is really, really promising. And because he has this passing down game on lock, we haven't even seen what the upside truly looks like yet because he hasn't had like a five for 70 uh, in the passing game with like 15 for 85 in the running game and like two touchdowns. That's how he's going to get to like 25, 30 points in a given week. That's all still in the range of outcomes. I think better days are ahead for ETN, but this was super, super promising for Dynasty, for Redraft, whatever you want to look at his game through whatever lens you want to look through. Our next takeaway is the 2022 40-yard dash times weren't false. There was a lot of talk out there that when Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall ran sub 4-4s, that the combine numbers were juiced. Everybody was running sub 4-4s. Everybody was running really fast times. You had Taekwon Thorne with like a 4-2-8. Everyone was saying, I think that they were doing a different method of keeping track of these 40 times. I think that maybe it was like something different with the laser. I don't know. There was almost like a conspiracy theory because they were putting Brees Hall and Jonathan Taylor side by side in like the SimCast or whatever. And Jonathan Taylor was beating him despite, I believe, them running like the exact same 40 time JT and Brees Hall. With all of that being said, their sub 4-4 speeds are legit. They now have the two fastest ball carrier speeds on the entire year. They did it in week seven. You have Kenneth Walker with the 74-yard rush yesterday, hitting 22.09 miles per hour. The first player to hit 22 or better miles per hour this year. And Brees Hall, 62-yard rush touchdown yesterday, 21.87 miles per hour on a 62-yard rushing touchdown. Now, we'll get into Brees Hall's We'll get into Brees Hall's injury later on, and it absolutely sucks. But this is the bright side, right? He looks so special. Him and Kenneth Walker both look special. Kenneth Walker now has like 350-plus rushing yards in the last like three weeks. He's playing out of his mind. He's breaking uh, runs off long. Both of these guys are having huge splash plays. You saw Brees Hall. It was like the first drive of the game on a toss play. Denzel Mims actually gets downfield, makes a beautiful block, and I think it was not Bryce Callahan, but one of their slot corners, and it was just a beautiful play. Brees got in the end zone. Hate to see it. And that brings us into our next point, which is all I wrote down for takeaway number three is so many fucking injuries, man. So many, dude. So many guys got hurt. Brees Hall, ACL tear, DK Metcalf knee injury, JC Jackson, Mike Williams, Tannehill, St. Brown, Evan Neal, who was like a top five pick for the Giants at tackle, AJ Terrell, David Njoku has a high ankle sprain, Elijah Vera Tucker. Jets lineman has an injury. Trey Hendrickson. For fantasy, though, the Brees one's devastating. You hate to see Njoku, who I think he has a high ankle sprain, is out for like two to five weeks. And we've talked about Jets football every single week, or almost every single week, and I and it's definitely getting annoying for you guys. But instead of me hopping on here, vibes high over when it's hilarious, man. We're five and two. This is the best record we've had through seven games in forever. Vibes should be high, and it just feels like everything's falling apart, man. We got Elijah Moore requesting a trade. We have Brees Hall getting hurt. We have Elijah Vera Tucker getting hurt. We have Zach Wilson looking awful for the second straight game. We're five and two, and vibes could literally not be lower. I, I literally want to die, bro. Like it, Brees Hall tearing his ACL is such such a bummer, man. The the our whole game plan of of this year has been playing defense, running the ball. 
Brees Hall tearing an ACL is so scary, man, because we've seen recently. We saw Dobbins this year. He didn't look himself. You saw Saquon last year. He didn't look himself. These guys are coming off of ACL tears, and their first year back, they suck. So it's almost like we're not going to have Brees Hall at what he was doing this year until like 2024. It's just super sad, man. Super sad, dude. It, it, you honestly hate to see it. Everybody came into this year, and I think a lot of these young running backs in like the dead zone area of like Brees Hall and not Javante, but I guess like Brees Hall, ETN, AJ Dillon, they're, the appeal of drafting these young running backs, you'd think, you think that they're a little bit more durable, and the idea was that the older guys like Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, those are the guys who are going to tear ACLs and be coming up with injuries, but it's actually been the young guys this year, like Dobbins, Javante, Brees Hall now. And it really sucks to see. Now, on some of the positive news is this is Edwin Porges. Uh, he is the fantasy points uh, doctor. He does great stuff over there. And him and Jared Smola were having a conversation about Brees Hall's injury. And Smola asked, does so Brees Hall tore his ACL and he has a little bit of meniscus damage. So it's not terrible where a lot of guys, they'll do like MCL, ACL, maybe some like, I think, uh, Dobbins might even have like a hamstring injury plus like a hip injury. So there's a lot going on there. Brees Hall sounds like the least, the the least, not dangerous, but like the least aggressive or like over the top ACL tear of most of them, right? I feel like he dodged on something like potentially not career ending, of course, because ACL, everyone's going back from ACLs, but you guys know what I'm saying. It's not as bad as it could have been. It wasn't a like PCL, MCL tear plus ACL plus a a million other things. It was simply just ACL and some meniscus damage. And he asked, does the meniscus damage change his recovery time? He said, ever ever so slightly, Edwin Porras. Unlike we'll see a freak eight-month recovery, especially for a running back, I think 10 months from surgery is a great target for a usable fantasy performance. Smola then says, Brees Hall's recovery timeline, we're about 10 and a half months out from the start of the 2023 season. So Edwin Porras thinks it'll take 10 months for him to get back. We have about 10 and a half months until next year's week one. So we're at least in a spot where it seems like Brees Hall should be, I'm not going to say he should be good to go for week one, but that's on in the cards, right? It's it's in the cards that he could be good for week one and then be back to his normal self by like week three, four, five, six, especially because he is so young and because this wasn't such an aggressive over-the-top ACL tear, it seems like it was pretty clean. We'll see. I wish I had more positive uh, news than that. It really, really sucks, man. Just think, I mean, I know a lot of us in fantasy land lost Brees Hall today, but as a Jets fan, it really does suck, man. It really does suck. He was he was our entire offense. He was what felt like the spearhead of this, you know, really hot start. But I will say some notes on some notes on the Brees Hall thing for the uh, for the Jets, and we're not going to spend too long on the Jets. Um, I do think that it sucks really bad that Brees Hall is going to be hurt, but it is a slight positive for fantasy because, or, or not even fantasy, but the Jets' long-term outlook is because we can't lean on Brees Hall in the run game to win us games. Michael Carter is good, but I don't think that, I don't think that he's someone that can win you games. So if we're going to win games and play to our ceiling like we have been, it's going to fall on Zach. I think this would be the perfect time for Elijah Moore to just say, I don't know if he has to say sorry, but I'm just going to be back on the team. Everything's fine. I was tripping, whatever. I didn't mean to request a trade and make a scene in social media. Um, but it would make a lot of sense, right? Because we were throwing passes. Corey Davis was hurt too. So we were throwing passes to like Denzel Mims was playing wide receiver. We had like Vincent Smith out there. It was ugly. If we could get Elijah Moore back, and then because we can't lean on the run game at this point, if we could just lean on the passing game instead, let Zach Wilson throw, have Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, 
lean on the passing game because Michael Carter won't be able to win us games. And then there we will have the answer. And if we get, you know, five, six, seven weeks down the line and Zach Wilson sucks through all of them and we're like hovering at 500, then at that point, maybe Joe Flacco comes in for a playoff run and we look to a new quarterback in the offseason. Or we lean on Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore gets back involved, Garrett Wilson kind of revives things a little bit, and Zach Wilson is our guy for the next five years. So I think it's a nice pressure point uh, where Brees Hall wasn't, it was almost like training wheels for the offense for Zach Wilson because Brees Hall, our only touchdown yesterday was a Brees Hall uh, rushing touchdown on like the first drive of the game. Yeah, it was just field goals the rest of the way. So we're going to need Zach Wilson to step up. Zach Wilson did have a terrible game, but Broncos defense has been has made everybody look pedestrian. We're going to get the real answer in these next few weeks uh, without Brees Hall. So our fourth takeaway is the Bengals are cooking. And Joe, Joe Burrow's low-key low key has some more upside than we thought he did. Now, shout out to Zach Taylor, who I thought, hand up, completely incompetent head coach. At least he's been letting Joe Burrow win games in play offense they are first in neutral pass rate since week three they've had 40 or more dropbacks in the last two weeks burrow has really stepped up here he leads the nfl the last two weeks in passing grade and yards per attempt and passing touchdowns and fantasy points he has been a god but the thing to really keep an eye on is the konami code upside i had a tweet earlier where i said he's been an mvp level passer the last few weeks but it's been his legs that made that has made the true difference for fantasy. On the ground, Burrow this season has 30 rush attempts for 130 yards and three touchdowns in just seven games. Last year, through his first seven games, he only had 18 carries for 44 yards and no touchdowns. So he's giving you real production on the ground. Like he is sort of giving you Konami code upside, and he actually ran the ball a ton in college. Last year, coming off the ACL, I imagine that was the big reason for why he was being more conservative in that realm but if he's going to have t higgins jamar chase and tyler board to throw to and they're going to throw the ball a ton and then on top of that that means they're going to have a lot of dropbacks which means on top of that he's going to be scrambling on a lot of those dropbacks joe burrow at this point if you wanted to put him at qb4 after like jo- rest of season after like josh allen uh hurts and lamar jackson and have him either ahead of or in the same tier as like herbert kyler murray whoever else you want to put in there i wouldn't fight it burrow has been that good this year now Fifth takeaway for today, the thing we're always going to be doing halfway through these shows now, is the rookie wide receiver report. Now, let's take the guys who are hurt or on bye out of here for now. Uh, You also have Tyquan Thornton playing tonight down there. But here's our rookie wide receiver report. These are wide receivers, rookie wide receivers, with five or more targets sorted by their week seven route uh, route participation, which is just how many routes are you running per drop back or how how many how many of the dropbacks for your team were you running a route on? I don't know why I struggled to to explain that, but at the top we have Chris Olave again. Chris Olave continues to be at the top of the rookie wide receiver report. Fourteen targets this week, seven catches, one hundred six yards, seventeen point six PPR points. Still not scoring touchdowns and still balling out for fantasy. Once the touchdowns come, it's going to get really really scary for Olave. Quietly. It happened on Thursday, and not a lot of buzz around it, but this was his highest target game of the year with 14. He now has three of his six games played with 13 or more targets. He has an 80-plus PFF grade. He has 25%-plus target per out run, a 2-plus yards per out run. That's all elite. Really what we're looking for, like, I would say good target per out run is like 20%-plus. Elite target per out run is 25%-plus. Two, two or better yards per out run is elite. 80-plus PFF grade is elite. He has elite numbers through his first like six games here 
he is in the mix as a top 10 dynasty wide receiver, pretty cut and dry at this point. Now, we also have Alec Pierce, and he had his first starter share of routes at this point. He had 95.8% of the routes after stalling out about 70 to 75% of the routes the last two weeks. The issue is the efficiency stalled. He only had four targets for three catches for 37 yards. He's now at 16% target per out run and 1.6 yards per out run on the year. Not great. Only 62.5 PFF grade. Starting to slow my roll a little bit on Alec Pierce. He's definitely not face planning. He's definitely not a bust, but he also doesn't look like a fun upside hit either. He looks like he might just be a guy in the NFL, but again, it is really, really early, and he did show some stuff between like weeks three to five area. We're hoping that he can sort of rekindle that flame, if you will. Kind of what's been hurting him is Paris Campbell going crazy. So maybe Paris Campbell sort of comes back down to earth soon, but we had big hopes for Alec Pierce the last two weeks, but he has sort of stalled out in the efficiency department. We'll talk about Drake London. Arthur Smith is killing him. But per route stuff still looks good. 83.5 PFF grade, 27% target per out run, two plus yards per out run. All looks good. Still a top five dynasty wide receiver. Still rookie wide receiver number one for me. Yeah, Pickens last night had his best game of the year. Best fantasy game of the year. I believe he had like six for, I believe he has like six for like 60 and a touchdown. He has special hands, man. That touchdown grab, I don't know how he got the feet down. I don't know how he caught it. You had the one, the other primetime game where we had the one-hander. I, I was joking around on Twitter, but he literally has 99 spectacular catch on Madden. He's that guy. Uh, per route numbers still lacking here. 16.4% target per route run, only 1.35 yards per route run. But that's also partly because he's ran so many routes, and he ran a starter share of routes the first like three weeks before actually being involved in the game plan. You also have the idea here that like Deontay or Claypool could get traded at the deadline, which would be huge for Pickens. He also quietly leads all rookie wide receivers in receiving yards at 338 behind just Olave. So it doesn't lead them. He's second among rookie wide receivers. You also have Romeo Dobbs here still getting uh, starter reps, right? 91.4% of the routes still hovering at like 90% plus. The issue is, is that he's struggling a little bit. They're still putting him on the field. He led the team in routes with 32, and it's actually pretty crazy. He had 32 routes. He had 12 more routes than the next highest wide receiver, which was Sammy Watkins with 20. Lazard only had 19 routes. So they love having Romeo Dobbs on the outside. I think a good chunk of it is for blocking purposes. He only had zero catches this week. The targets are slowing down. The catches are slowing down. His per route efficiency is completely tanked. He looked so good before they gave him a starter share of snaps. Now he has 18.9% target per out run, 1.05 yards per out run, really, really bad, and a 55.1 PFF grade, which is only better than David Bell and Danny Gray at this point, which is really, really tough. Now, he also had the worst PFF passing or worst PFF receiving grade of any Packers wide receiver at 44.5 this weekend. It looks tough. I think, of course, Dobbs is still a hit right where you draft him in rookie drafts he's still a massive massive profit but the upside of being like a stefan Diggs type round uh day three guy seems like it's pretty much gone at this point but he does look like he could still be like a darnell mooney type guy or like a robbie anderson type guy where they were day three slash udfas and they kind of find a role in the nfl mooney a lot more unknown since it's so early but robbie anderson kind of had a couple years here and there we'll see uh his ceiling got li it got limited here but a lot of season left. He could turn things around. Uh, regardless, again, still having a solid rookie season for what was expected of him, but has sort of underperformed in this starting role. We'll talk about 
Garrett Wilson here, Jets passing game in the last two weeks has only 231 total yards. Nobody has produced in this passing game. It's tough to really expect much for Garrett Wilson, but he ran more routes with Elijah Morgan. He still has strong target per out runs with 23.2%. Yards per out run is taking a hit because of quarterback play, but PFF grade still at 74.5. Still going strong. Would probably have Olave. Olave and Wilson are still very close because I, I much prefer Wilson the prospect to Olave, but Olave is doing some things right now that it's tough to it's tough to prefer Wilson over him. I think that they're at the very least in the same tier together with Drake London in a tier by himself as wide receiver one. I think I would probably give a slight nod to Chris Olavia at this point, but I would have to I'd have to sit down and really meditate and think about it um before making that definitive stance. Now we'll also talk about Wandale Robinson, who looked as advertised. He had eight targets, six catches, fifty yards for eleven PPR points. Could have been a bigger day. I think he got hurt early on and then came back and sort of slowed his role a little bit where I think he might have had like five catches at the half. Looked like he was en route to, to smash, but still ended up fine. 78.4% of the routes after being at 34.4% of the routes. He's starting to work his way up the depth chart. He's a 27% target route run. He's a two-plus yards route run. Both numbers we're looking for. He looks legit. PFF grade took a little bit of a hit, 69.2 now. But I would have him. I'd have like London in S tier. I would have Olave and Wilson in the next tier. Then probably Pickens. And then probably Wandell Robinson right there around like wide receiver five in this rookie class. I don't know if I'm missing anybody, but I would have him right in the mix around wide receiver five. Then also about David Bell, still awful, still trash. My God, that's bad, dude. 7.4% target per out run, 0.6 yards per out run, 50.3 PFF grade. Really, really, really bad. Sky Moore, we're going to need him to crack 50% of the routes very soon. Very soon, or it's getting very... It's looking extremely tough for our guy, Sky Moore, here. Still hovering around 30% of the routes. Had just one target for zero catches against the Niners on Sunday. Like I said, we're going to need more playing time or things are going to get ugly here very soon. Our last takeaway for the rookie wide receiver report is Danny Gray is a new addition, but there's nothing really to see here. He ran 11% of the routes. He played mostly in garbage time. He now has five targets on the year with zero yards and zero catches on those five targets. Really, really bad. Worst PFF grade among all these guys. Danny Gray is not a name to remember. Everyone else is either hurt or on bye, but here are their numbers. Uh, and keep an eye out for Tyquan Thornton tonight. He has a chance to really bump up his numbers. Would love to see him be in that 75% plus route participation area. But that is it for our rookie wide receiver report. Now, our sixth takeaway is again, Arthur Smith. I wrote this as Arthur Smith, darkness, my old friend. And I keep, we keep talking about Arthur Smith, but he keeps giving us stuff to talk about. The idea with Arthur Smith here is that he runs almost a high school offense. He refuses to pass the ball. He's always running the ball. And the idea is, okay, Drake London and Kyle Pitts are going to be really tough starts when the Falcons are winning games, but when they lose games and they finally have to pass the ball, they'll be all right. The issue is, is that they were trailing by seven or more points for 100% of their snaps on Sunday, the Falcons. They drop back to pass. I don't know why I can't talk. They drop back to pass on just 45% of plays. The NFL average this season when trailing by seven or more points has been 72% in that scenario. So despite trailing by a touchdown or more the entire Sunday, they still refuse to pass the ball at even a league average rate. It is insane. It is crazy. Kyle Pitts had a 38.5% target share. 
and it did not matter. He had nine receiving yards on the day to Drake London's nine receiving yards. The Falcons only passed 13 times in a 35-17 to loss. Pitts and London combined for four catches for 18 yards in a 35-17 to loss. How does that even happen? How do they not pass the ball more than that? I don't get it. And it's tough because it's not like Arthur Smith is on the hot seat. I think this is something that we'll have to deal with this season, possibly even next season. It sucks all the way around. Like, I don't know what we have to hope for for a Drake London or a Kyle Pitts game because it clearly game script does not matter to Arthur Smith. So if you have Falcons bags like me and you have Drake London or Kyle Pitts, it is time to be upset. And I'm not really sure there's anything I can tell you to comfort you about this grievance. Now, our seventh takeaway is what the hell is going on with Tom Brady? The Bucks lose 21-3. to Brady had 32, uh, 32 completions on 49 attempts for 290 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. It's just been weird. Brady hasn't really made a ton of mistakes, right? He's not throwing picks. He had the seventh best PFF passer grade. He was only on uh, under pressure on 19.6% of his throws, which was the third lowest yesterday. So the narrative that his offensive line is not doing him any favors isn't really all that true. His 7.9 average depth of target wasn't awful. That was 12th on the day. To me, if I'm being honest, it feels like the Bucks are just getting unlucky here. Mike Evans had 13 targets. He only turned that into nine catches for 96 yards. Usually he's somebody that can turn 13 targets into like 150 yards and like a touchdown. Godwin, same thing, only 12 targets. He turned 12 targets into seven catches for 43 yards. If you give out 25 targets combined to Evans and Godwin, you can't only turn that into like 140 receiving yards. It has to be more than that. I do think that better days are ahead, but it is tough to keep on just saying, you know, Give the Bucks some time. Don't freak out, fellas, because it has been super, super tough. Now, our next takeaway I listed as a legendary running back tracker here, where we have three running backs right now with over 20 points per game, Austin Eckler being one of them. And I just wanted to take note, Austin Eckler has had a little bit of a role change this season. Last year, he had 42 targets through seven games with a 13.9% target share. This year, he has 61 targets through seven games with a 19.8% target share. So he has like 6% better target share, and he has like 19 more targets than he did last year through seven games, 25 points per game right now. Last year was at 21.5 points per game through seven weeks. Eckler is playing out of his damn mind, and I'm not sure with Mike Williams now hurt, right? They're going to go into bye, and then Keenan Allen is should be back. Mike Williams still hurt. You also have Josh Palmer dealing with injury. I don't think Eckler's involvement in the passing game is really going to slow down. It is pretty crazy, though, because we haven't seen him be used as a passer like this or as a pass catcher like this since Phillip Rivers. Uh, when he came in there, like during the Melvin Gordon year, he had like 100 plus targets. He was really, really good. If this receiving role sticks for the entire year, he will probably put up like a 24, 25 point per game season and give us a true legendary running back season. A little bit pessimistic that it sticks for the entire year. But we'll see. I'll also say Josh Jacobs is playing out of his damn mind. 22.2 points per game. We only have three running backs over 20 points per game right now. Jacobs now has four straight games of four or more targets. And he has three games of 30 plus PPR points. He has been playing out of his damn mind. And then, of course, Saquon has just been steady Eddie this year. 20.2 points per game. We would like that to be closer to 25 to be a true hero or to be a true legendary RB season. But this year, in terms of fantasy scoring, it's been so tough to come by that will truly take any running back over 20 points per game. After that, we have our ninth takeaway, which is the Cowboys deflation game. We were expecting fireworks, a shootout, 
like we saw with the Lions and the Seahawks, or the Lions and Washington, or the Lions and the Eagles. The Lions keep drawing teams into shootouts. 48 and a half over, point over under. The game finishes 24 to 6, only scoring 30 points, underperforming the point total by like 30, or no. I'm an idiot. By 18 and a half. And the Lions top 0.5 PPR scores in this game were Khalif Raymond, their kicker, and Brock Wright. I don't even know who Brock Wright is. In a game where we thought Amon Ross St. Brown and Swift were destined to go off in a big shootout. Now on the Cowboys side, you had Zeke with 17.7 points. Dak had 12.3 points. And only four catches for 70 yards for CeeDee Lamb, all against a Lions defense that is like 32nd in total DVOA. Maybe we jumped the gun thinking that the Cowboys are going to do really well in this game. Maybe Dak needs some time to ramp up and get up to speed after his injury. I'm not all that worried long term. It does just suck in the short term that this game was not as high scoring as we were expecting. Now, I wanted to cover in this last takeaway here, the tricky backfield of the NFL, the Chiefs, the Panthers, and the Ravens here. And first, we'll talk about the Chiefs, who had Pacheco reported before the game as the starter. And I kind of feel like an idiot now for taking that so uh, seriously. Pacheco was still pretty much in his same role where he had, what, 19 of like 60 snaps. I think like only like a 30% target share or snap share for a guy who was like leading, who's supposed to be like the starter, 19 snaps and eight carries is pretty underwhelming. He led the backfield in touches with eight carries for 43 yards, but that was it. Clyde Edwards-Lair still got there on a touchdown, but he only had like 36 yards. McKinnon led the the running backs and snaps, but he was just the passing down guy, didn't really do a ton. This backfield is going to be a headache moving forward. I don't know why they just came out and was like, yeah, we're just going to start Pacheco. It didn't really change all that much. Then we also have the Panthers' backfield, which is pretty funny that they trade away Christian McCaffrey and both of their running backs, Hubbard and Foreman, rush for like over 170 yards combined. They... Both had like seven yards per carry or better. Hubbard left with an injury, but it appears to be a split between Hubbard and uh, Deonta Foreman where Hubbard is handling passing downs plus some rushing work, and then Foreman is between the tackles grinder. Moving forward, I probably I probably prefer Foreman. He did just look a little bit more explosive, but I think that they're both fine plays. I will say I don't expect them to give teams problems like they did to the Bucks, where it was 21-3. to positive game script I think that this is probably a decent spot to get out of either of these running backs if you can so uh I'm not expecting both of them to be startable like they were this week I think it's they're go- both going to be pretty tough starts moving forward but at least there was some kind of positive to gain again Hubbard I believe is going to be in the passing down role right he had eight of eight long down and distance snaps and then Foreman will be the between the tackles between the 20s guy we didn't see a goal line carry but I would assume that would go to Deonta Foreman in most scenarios then we have the Ravens, and this one was pretty funny, where Kenyon Drake was the lead back last week, had 100-plus yards, and then he has 25% of the snaps, lower than Justice Hill at 32%, and Gus Edwards at 37%. Gus Bus comes out there and looks amazing off an ACL tear. He had 16 carries, 66 yards, two touchdowns, completely usable fantasy day, despite just having 37% of the snaps. He had as many carries as Kenyon Drake and Justice Hill combined. I think... With Dobbins out for the next like four to six weeks, Gus Edwards should be the lead back until Dobbins is back. And he's probably going to be like a top 30 running back play rest of season, right in that fringe area of RB2 streamers for Hero RB team. So if you have Gus Edwards out there, 
you got a good one. Now, that is going to do it for us today, fellas. I think that we covered pretty much everything we need to cover. I'm going to go upstairs and wallow in sadness over this Brees Hall news. Um, I'm very upset. I don't even want the Jets to trade for a running back. I don't even like Kareem Hunt's like kind of interesting, but I don't know. Like I said, the only positive I can take away from that Brees Hall injury is we're going to have to see what Zach Wilson is. I, I really hope that LaFleur doesn't just force the run, uh, even in passing situations. And we let Zach Wilson throw the ball, you know, 30 plus times and just see if he's got it. Uh, like I said, I hope Elijah Moore comes back and we just lean on the passing game or at least let Zach Wilson lean on the passing game and see what comes of it. Now, I've hit my quota for Jets talk. I hope you guys like this video. If you did, make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like, and I will see you guys in the next one. I got the juice, I got the juice. Chatham's on, foolies glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag of on. Rapper, song, singer, suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner.